Well, on Mother's Day, my delightful offspring gave me this present. It's called a Think Positive button. I don't think I've used it very often, but I thought I would bring it along this morning since we're talking about finding the awesome and thinking positive. It says things to you. Would you like to hear what it says? I am inspired. (laughs) I didn't pre-program that. That's pretty good. (laughs) It's going to be a really, really good day. It is going to be a really, really good day. I am beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. This is, this is fantastic. It's almost prophetic this morning. Joy is my natural state. <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel radiant and full of energy. <laughs> How are you feeling? Great. <laughs> like I said, I don't use it very often. But it did make me wonder why my kids gave it to me, that maybe they think I've got a bit of an attitude problem. Um, it sits in my office. I don't even. I haven't even played it in my office. The, um, attitude is really important, isn't it? I, I, there's another thing that I have in my office, or actually sits on my iPad. It's called a Psych Me Up app. Have you heard of the Psych Me Up? So there's neuroscience that goes with this. Um, um, what it is, it, it brings up boxes of faces, like really grumpy faces, look, look, look angry faces, and in the midst of the faces, there'll be one happy, smiling face. And the idea is that when the, when the screen flashes up, you press on the happy face, and then it'll flash to the next screen, it'll be your grumpy faces, and you've got to find the happy face in amongst all the grumpy faces. Now, the neuroscience is that if you do that for 10 minutes a day, it automatically retrains your brain only to focus on happy people. And so the idea is then you feel happy. So I thought, I need this. So <laughs> that, that's no comment on the people I work with every day. So I get the app out and I sit there for 10 minutes and I go, happy, happy, happy. And actually you do. I've noticed that you've, like, you start to smile. Like, you know, you sit in the office going. <laughs> and, then it, and then it wears off. Excuse me, I've just got to go back into my office for 10 minutes and happy, happy, happy. <laughs> Um, I, had a, I have a mentor who um, I was talking to about attitude one point, because I have, um, I don't, I'm going to use a bad word. Have you heard of the resting bitch face syndrome? Yeah, I get accused of that, because I'm a fairly intense, introverted, passionate person. So when I'm thinking, people think I look like I'm intimidating and cross and whatever. It's just because I'm thinking and I'm an you know, introverted person. Um, anyway, I was talking to my mentor about this one day, because it's really important in my role that I look like a person who looks like Jesus. <laughs> so he said to me, why don't you get a dog? And I said, well, I've got a cat. But, you know, cats are fairly selfish and self-serving animals, aren't they? So they don't really make you feel necessarily happy. So we got ourselves a dog. Um, we've now onto our second dog. We, we wore the first one out. But um, this is Sunday. Look at that face. Is she not? So you can follow, she's got her own, um, what do you call it, Instagram thing now. You can follow Sunday the River Dog on What's on Sunday. Do you like that? What's on Sunday? Do you get that? Yeah, that's a bit of a mum joke. Yeah, yeah, because that's Tanya Watson, What's on Sunday. Anyway, um, so did I had to explain it to you. Yeah, it's really sad. So here's Sunday, and, and honestly, actually, she does, she does help me to sort of chill out a bit, and, and we go for long walks together, and she, we just love the river, and so we walk down to the river. We went down there this morning, and she's chasing ducks and birds, and, and you know, it, just, it just makes you feel better. So we're talking about attitude, and I began to think about this, and I thought, why are we talking about attitude in church? 
Because I'm not a psychologist, not a psychiatrist. And if I was, the fact that we were getting in church and talking about attitude would just be totally awkward and weird, like group therapy on a Sunday morning, wouldn't it? With coffee and singing. (laughs) And I don't think we're here for group therapy on a Sunday morning. We're here because we're the people of God. I love the way the worship team this morning helped us to celebrate the fact that we are together as God's people. I ask the question all the time, why do we come to church? There are so many other options that we have on a Sunday morning. Why do we come to church? And I keep coming back to this answer because this is one of the ways that I declare my allegiance ultimately is to God. I need to be with God. I need to be with people. I need to be with God's people. In fact, as we were standing here this morning and as the team were leading us, I kept thinking, I can't live without God and I can't live without these people because we are the body of Christ. So the next time you might be feeling, as I often do, and I'm paid to be at church as a minister, <laughs> but sometimes I go, I don't really feel like going to church today, but, but it's important to be with the people of God and to remind one another that we are a part of the body of Christ and that we're in this together. So the reason we're gonna talk about attitude today is because we reflect Jesus to the world. And I've been thinking a lot about what's going on at the moment. For those of you who don't know me, I work with pastors and leaders, church leaders all the time. That's my job. So I have the privilege of thinking about the church all day, every day. It's what I do. And I have observed, particularly over the last few months, that when I mix with church people and as I watch what's going on in social media and on the news and I think about all the pressure that we're facing as a church in this country, my observation is that we lack peace. And I think peace is the very thing that we need to be exhibiting as the people of God. When we speak and when we live from a place of anxiety or fear, it it closes us up, doesn't it? But when we live as people of peace, it doesn't change the situation or the circumstances that we're facing, but the way we live and the way we speak is open and generous. It's peace, isn't it? We're going to look at Psalm 42 in a moment. You can open up your Elevate app and and read the scripture there with me. We're going to walk through this psalm. We're going to walk through how someone was, was confronted, we don't know with what, but it was causing anxiety and fear and how they processed that emotion with God. And so as we walk through this today, I kept thinking this is going to be quite a gentle kind of message today. I'm going to sit down. I thought I might chill out today. I don't want you to fall asleep on me. (laughs) Some people say my voice makes them fall asleep. So (laughs) keep your eyes up. But um, it's a gentle message, but I don't want you to misunderstand the fact that this is probably one of, I think this is a very profound message today. This attitude of peace. Because as the people who have the peace of Christ, with the peace comes hope and and joy. 
so that even in the most difficult of circumstances, you and I can still have hope and joy. Now, no amount of happy face picking, walking with a dog, thinking positive thoughts can give you that. Only Christ can give you that. So let's look at Psalm 42. Oh, you know, the other thing I was going to give a shout out to Mark, because Mark, a few weeks ago when I was here, and I've been at other churches the last few weeks, but he spoke about living differently. Do you remember when he said that? I went, wow, that's a really good word. This is all about living differently. So, Psalm 42. Oh, Lucy and I, my daughter were laughing about this last night. Psalm 42, that's like the answer to the life, universe and everything, isn't it? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference. No one got that? Yeah, yeah, good. Okay. So Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so, my, so, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? As a deer pants for flowing streams. Have you ever watched a dog lap water when they're thirsty? I was paying attention to my dog this morning. We walked for 10 kilometres. We get home and she gets her face in the bowl and she's like, like it's just like, she's so thirsty that she, you know, she's right in there and it's like straight down the gullet. You know, I don't know how dogs do that, but it's like that. Do you get that image in your head? The deer thing doesn't work for me. A dog at a bowl works for me. So you think about a dog lapping at water. That's what this person is saying. My soul, my soul is aching so much. I am so disturbed that I want God. Now remember, this is a person who knows God. This is a person who doesn't know God. So this is a person who knows that God is real, that God is there. Nevertheless, something's going on that's caused them to be so disturbed that they want to lap. I, I just, I need to be with God. And somehow or other there's a disconnect and they're not at this point able to connect with God. Do you, do you know what that feels like? When there's something going on and you just can't, you're like, God, where are you? It's important that we notice those moments when we feel like God is absent or God is not interested or God has taken off and is nowhere where we're at. Because in those moments, I, I, I call it, it exposes our faulty theology. Because the minute we think that God is not there, we have faulty theology. Because has God gone absent? No, he hasn't, has he? We just feel like he's not there. So it's good to notice those, those um, moments where we say that stuff to ourselves. because where we have bad theology, you can be pretty sure we're gonna get a bad attitude. Because if we start to tell ourselves that God is gone or God is not absent or I can't reach God or he's not delivering for me, the way I expect he should be delivering for me. We've turned God into something that he is not. And we're just gonna get grumpier and worse, and which is happening to this person. He's saying, when, when shall I come and appear before God? When is God gonna appear before me? He's got his grumpy pants on. You know, God is supposed to keep all my life in order and keep me happy. Why is this not happening? We know what that feels like, don't we? The great thing about the Psalms is that it actually reminds us that it's actually okay. That's a very human thing to do. Just because we're followers of Jesus doesn't make us superhuman. The challenge is not to stay in those places or to notice what's going on 
and to think about, so how are we responding to God? He goes on, he starts, he keeps grizzling. I wonder, will I ever make it, arrive and drink in God's presence? There's a kind of desperation there. I'm on a, I love this, I'm on a diet of tears. Tears for breakfast, tears for supper. All day long, people knock at my door, pestering, where is this God of yours? Have you had one of those days? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> completely miserable. How do we feel when we see someone like that? I'm going to say, look, it's okay to have a down day, but really, as followers of Jesus, you know, if God is so good, why do we look so bad? If God is so good, why do we look so bad? <laughs> is it possible to still look good even when life is really awful? I think it is. I remember when my father died, and I was uh, probably 27. It was a shock. He was very young, and, and no one, you know, you don't expect your father to die when you're young. One of the things I remember about his funeral is that all of his workmates said later on that they had never seen a family at peace. I was devastated. But there was something about even in one of the worst seasons of my life that I knew that God was present and that God knew what he was doing. And somehow even in grief, there was a sense of peace that other people noticed. See, if God is good, then why do we make him look so bad? Well, we, that only happens because we don't have peace. Where is this God of yours? Well, hopefully, no matter what is going on, God is, God is there. But sometimes before we've got to get there, you know, we keep going. And so the, the psalmist keeps going. These are things I go over and over, emptying out the pockets of my life. Isn't that a great expression? You know, when things are bad, we tend to dwell on them, don't we? You go over and over. Do you do that? And then I come up, I, I go from, you know, going over and over what's disturbing me and then I start going to strategy mode because I'm a bit of a strategy person. So then I start thinking about how am I going to fix that, what solutions I have. Then I start telling God what I think he should do, you know, if he was me because, you know, this situation needs to be fixed. So I love this expression. I go over and over and over. This is not a good strategy, because we just get deeper and deeper into ourselves and further and further away from actually trying to understand what, what God might be wanting to say to us. And of course, when you keep going over and over things, you go back to the good old days and you start romanticising the past. I was always at the head of the worshipping crowd, right out in front, leading them all, eager to arrive and worship, shouting praises, singing thanksgiving, celebrating all of us God's feast. So this is a person looking back and going, oh, I wish it was like in the good old days when things were better. Things were always better in the past. Aren't they? Things are always better in the past. It's because we know what the past was. <laughs> we don't know what the future is and so it's always easy to look back rather than to take a risk and look forward. I had a vision one day. I was in a, I was in a strategy meeting with my team and we were going, you know, if we don't change, then nothing else is going to change. We need to take a risk. 
And I remember quite vividly thinking, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm at the edge of a pier and I'm looking forward, but I've got my hand on the last pylon and I'm gonna, I need to step off. I need to let go of this pylon. It was so tempting in that moment to go, oh, I'm scared. I'm the leader and I'm scared. <laughs> I want to look back because I know what happens here. I don't know what happens here. The past always looks better. But that's not where we live. We live today and we live into tomorrow. So he gets sucked down the sadness tunnel. I don't know if this is living differently. You know, when we go down the sadness tunnel, when we start living in the past, when we stay in a bad attitude, um, we, do things that, we do things the same that everybody else does, that we don't live differently. See, the world knows how to deal with anxiety and fear and all that kind of bad stuff that happens. We watch Netflix for a weekend and we eat chocolate, don't we? It's distraction. One of the things that I've been doing this year is facing up to what I call my small gods of comfort and security. When I'm feeling out of sorts, when I'm feeling like I can't cope with things anymore, it's really easy to hit Netflix. It's, I can get lost in a series for, for hours. I can eat chocolate, I can do all these things, but really they're distracting. And again, it's really bad theology. Because what I'm worshipping is I'm worshipping the small gods of comfort and security. I'm not actually trusting God. And I'm actually rejecting the opportunity for God to give me peace in whatever it is that's troubling me. And so I'm not living differently to anyone else. And so I'm not necessarily reflecting the fullness of Christ as he's, as he's given to me. Challenging words, aren't they? Like I said, gentle message profoundly challenging for us. So why does living differently matter so much? Because a bad attitude makes God look bad or worse, that God doesn't even exist. When we have a bad attitude, God's goodness gets covered up and we have nothing to offer of God to ourselves or to anyone else. We just close in. Three things are missing, peace, hope, and joy. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is an amazing prayer that Paul prays for the first church in Europe. He writes, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. It so happened that yesterday my meditation in Scripture was this, was this passage and um, I, I've got this audio app. I, I can give it to you later if you want. They're like 10 to 12 minutes every day and you can just listen to a meditation of Scripture. I find it really helpful. And the person reading the scripture then said these words, let these words fall over your soul as a blessing from God. And I just went, oh, that's gold, isn't it? It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. A few weeks ago, I noticed that myself and my staff team, we were all suffering from anxiety or fear, or there was just a lot of stuff going along, a lot of pressure 
And so we sat down in the office and we agreed together that wasn't living the way Christ wants us to live. And so we covenanted to pray for one another that God would either release us from fear and anxiety or he would, um, what was the other thing? It was release or, oh, the word's gone. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. We, we actually sat down. Do you know it was amazing? Because we are the body of Christ, myself and my team, we sat down, we prayed and we agreed together and we saw God change us. And when, then we started to notice that God was changing the things that we were worried and concerned about. Now, this is not magic. This is about the difference between being closed to the possibilities that God wants to do in and through us and being open. When, when Christ, it's like water. I think about water in a bath. You need to put rock in, a big rock in a bath and the water comes out. It's like Christ in our soul, when he's in our soul, all the fear and anxiety has to go away. Those things cannot exist where Christ is because Christ is the Prince of Peace, isn't he? And John reminds us, light and darkness don't mix in Christ. There's only light. Wherever Christ is, there cannot be darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome Christ. And you and I have Christ in us. He is the hope of glory. If you want to think positive thoughts, think those ones. (laughs) Because those ones are true. Those ones give you energy and those ones you don't have to manufacture on your own. The Psalms are very practical. If we look, keep looking at Psalm 42, we're going to find out how do we find peace and hope even in dark times. Well, number one is if you're feeling like you've got a bad attitude, you need to talk back to the bad attitude. And that's what the psalmist does. He goes on, why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Why me, why me, why me? Talk back to a bad attitude and tell the bad attitude who's the boss. Who's the boss of your life? The boss is God. Verse six, when my soul is in the dumps, I rehearse everything I know of you. It's a good strategy when you, instead of going over and over the things, you know, we talked about picking all the stuff around like the pockets of your life, emptying them out, having a look at how sad and bad things are actually changing that and start telling yourself the stuff about who God is. He goes on in this um, passage, and you've got it there in front of you. We haven't got it on the screen. He talks about, as as he remembers who God is, he describes it being like God being like crashing waves. It's almost like you can see the crashing waves of God's goodness coming over him going, oh, yeah, I get it now. Perspective is changing. God is good. God is, well, first of all, God is real. Do you ever have to remind yourself that God is real? It's okay, I do. It's a good thing to do. You go, actually, God is real. He does exist. Doubt doubt is okay. Doubt, someone described doubts as being the seeds of faith. If you keep pushing doubt away because you're scared of it, that actually doesn't make, it just makes it worse. It's a good thing to face doubt. It's where the seeds of faith grow and go, I will believe, I choose to believe God is real. And then remind yourself of all the good things that God has done and what he's said. Again, this is why we come together as church because we look at each other and we go, oh yeah, I'm not the only person who believes that God is real. And sometimes when we don't have faith, we can look at each other and say, let me lend you some of my faith right now. (laughs) Let me encourage you, let me pray for you. Because God is real. He's in control. He's the boss. And God gives us the possibility to live differently. And then thirdly, 
Take a walk and talk to God about your bad attitude. Just be honest with God. I noticed when I was reading this psalm, perhaps I hadn't noticed it before. Sometimes it's the things that you don't notice that become the most powerful things about this psalm. It comes up in verse 9. Sometimes I ask God, my rock solid God, why did you let me down? Why am I walking around in tears harassed by enemies? Here's what I noticed in this. You see, we, we live such sedentary lives, you and I. A lot of us, we spend our lives sitting down, don't we? And I bet you, when you read the scriptures, when you're reading your Bible or when you're thinking about God or when you're praying, even when we come to church, we're sitting down, aren't we? People haven't always sat down as much as we do. When the Psalms were written, people walked all the time. They walked everywhere. There was no cars, yet you walked. And I think about this more and more since um, I did a pilgrimage about 18 months ago and I now walk a lot There's something that happens when we walk. It's like faith stops being something that's just in your head and you realise that faith is actually about your whole body. I need to get up. I'm talking about I need to get up and walk. When Jesus saved us, he didn't just save our minds so we think better. He saved our minds. He saves every part of us, including our physical bodies. And walking... There's something about walking and moving that we've forgotten about in the Christian life. There's nothing like going for a walk with God. Why am I walking around in tears, harassed by my enemies? You know, there's actually something, there's science that goes with moving. When you move, the, serotonin, the natural serotonin, which gives you energy, comes up. But again, this is not about neuroscience and what your body's doing. It's actually just about walking with God. Someone once said that the Bible is such an outdoorsy book. You know, if, you, if you're walking and you, you can put your, um, actually I recommend don't listen to anything, to be quite honest. Someone, someone else said to me this week, you know, walking may be the closest thing that you and I get to experience stillness. Because we are exposed to so much noise that it's really hard just to have a quiet mind and to be at peace with God. And that's why I think walking is becoming an important thing that we need to think about in the church because when you walk, it actually gives you an opportunity to slow down and to be at peace and to stop thinking about stuff. Because when you're walking, you notice what's around you. You notice the birds, you notice the flowers, you notice the animals, you notice the people around you, you notice the sound. Take a walk this afternoon. Take a walk with God this afternoon. I, I'm trying to walk 10 kilometres a day, which is a lot. And I started to feel guilty going, how can I walk that much every day? But you know, I've been much more peaceful the last month since I started walking again. Yeah. And as I walk, I can pray and I can talk with God and say how I'm feeling and what I'm worried about. I can re- re- repeat verses to myself. And then the dog will do something stupid and I'll laugh, you know. Walking with God, becoming a person of peace. I'm getting sidetracked, but it's good. I think it's good. Matthew 5, 14 and 16 says this. You and I, we're here to be light, bringing out the God colours in the world. Jesus said to us, if I make you light bearers, 
You don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. This is why we need to deal with bad attitudes so that we can be bearers of light even in the most difficult times. We are facing some of the most challenging times that the church has known in this country. Now we can be people of fear or we can be people who are walking in peace because God is sovereign, is he not? If you don't think God is in control in this country, then your theology is a little bit wonky right now because God knows what's going on and God is sovereign. Can we trust him? Yeah, we have to, we, we can trust God. We can trust God even with what is going on in our country that may be disturbing us. That does not make it any less disturbing, but we're sitting now in a different place. I can be a person of peace and talk about things that matter rather than being a person in fear and talking about things that matter. It's a difference, a wholly different thing. Do you get the difference? It's hard to describe, but I hope you know what I'm saying. One is about being light and open. The other is about being closed and fearful. And we're we're light bearers, you and I. People can see the difference. I am more and more convinced that Australian people, Australian, if you look on a scale of one to 100, Australians rate in the 90s in terms of our our, um, individualism highly individual people. We also rate in the 90s in terms of indulgence. So it's all about what I want for myself, comfort, small gods of comfort and security. You know what Australian people need? It's peace. Because you can spend your whole life pursuing self-interest, but it's just distraction. It actually doesn't give people peace. That's why there's so much increase in mental illness and depression, all these things. People need peace, and you and I have peace. You can have depression and still have peace. You can suffer with anxiety, but still be a person of peace. And hope and joy. You can't give hope and joy unless you have peace, I don't think. So it's a miracle that we can live differently. And so the psalmist finishes, why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. I love the fact that Jesus puts a smile back on our face because I can't manufacture it in and of myself. I can make myself smile for about five minutes and then I get tired, sick of that. You know, but, but Jesus gives us his energy and strength. He tells us that. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's in 1 Peter. I wanted to finish this morning with a blessing. Traditionally in, the church, in some churches, uh, at the end of the service, at the end of the time where the people of God have gathered together, they've reminded themselves that together we are the body of Christ, the priest gives a blessing and says, go in peace. This morning I want to give us a blessing of going in peace. I'd like you to stand because what the people of God do is they stand and they hold their hands out to receive a blessing of peace. Now, Louie's going to come up, the amazing Louie, in a moment, and she's going to 
wrap up the service and speak to us about generosity, which again is another expression of peace and hope and joy. But if you want to receive this blessing of peace as you go out, to be like me, to, be, to, to believe that we can be people, no matter what's going on, who have hope and peace and joy, then let me read this to you. Go in peace means more than leaving with a good feeling. It means that we leave church with the intention of making peace happen in our personal lives and in what happens around us. Peace is applied to ourselves so that we can offer peace to the others we encounter as we go. So here's the blessing. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression and exploitation so that you will work for justice, equity and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation and war so that you will reach out your hand to comfort them and change their pain to joy. And may God bless you with the foolishness to think that you can make a difference in the world so that you will do the things which others tell you cannot be done. Go in peace, my friends, and live differently in this world this week. Amen.